everyone, and welcome to episode 174 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I'm James, joined once again by Ryan Topp and Paul Noonan, recording this on Super Bowl Sunday before the game, and we're all trying to stay warm because it's literally 12 below here where I am. I don't know how you guys are holding up. Same here, actually. Minnesota and Wisconsin are aligned on this issue. We're also in the deep negatives. It's terrible. Just and for the whole week too, and you know, if you, when you got little kids and you can't take them outside, or at least not for more than like five minutes, uh, I'm running out of stuff to do. Yesterday we did this experiment where you throw boiling water into freezing air, which was oh, cool. One. Yeah, yeah, it's cool, but it took 45 seconds. So uh, no, I, need, I have a lot <laughs> more time to the, fill up. Yeah, yeah. Try the freezing T-shirt one. That's always fun too. Ooh, Just I don't know that one. Drench a T-shirt, leave it outside, and it becomes like a brick. Try All that right. one. Google fun. it. Okay. I don't know. Give yeah, it, stupid cold tricks. You're gonna run out of stuff to do in two days anyway. So yep. whatever. <laughs> uh man. Luckily, we do have actual Brewers news to talk about. The the Brewers hot stove at least warmed up a little bit over the last week. They did a thing. I can't. They, believe did, a they did a thing. Yeah. They did smashing, a thing. Smashing through the Knievel saved money threshold and the significant move threshold in one fell swoop. Yeah, we we crossed both of those off the list. So, uh, you know, obviously they signed Colton Wong to a two-year, $18 million deal with an option for a third year. Uh, kind of came out of nowhere, as Stearns' signings kind of do, right? We, we talked about this in the past. Uh, but David Stearns says he believes that Colton Wong is the best defensive second baseman in the league. Numbers really bear that out and say the Brewers are going from literally the worst second baseman in, in the league to the best. I don't know if you guys saw the fan yeah, graphs analysis. The, the numbers on that are kind of uh, really eye-opening. Uh, so uh, a clear major upgrade that I don't think a lot of us actually thought about. And obviously that means Keston here is likely moving to first base for the time being. So I guess we'll just start there. Paul, first impressions of the signing. I know you're a big fan. I like it a lot. I like it way more than everybody I've talked to about it. Uh, I, I had Wong at like the top of my free agent list of people who are still on the market. I just didn't think they'd sign him because he's a second baseman. <laughs> and I think we can forever get rid of this line of thinking with the Brewers. Like, oh, they're set at this position. They won't make a move there. That's just silly and never true. They will they will not take that into consideration at all. But he's a really good signing for all those reasons. They had such bad second base defense last year. And they're going to move Keston here to first base. And that might not seem ideal in the grand scheme of things until you consider that it's not like they got great first base play either. So right. they're going to take like maybe a tiny hit at first base, but maybe not because maybe Vogelbach. <clears throat> By the way, Dan Vogelbach has an insane um, Pakoda projection. Just throwing that out there too. Um, <laughs> he he does, projected yep. for like a two and a half war season for no good reason. Um, I, I shouldn't say no good reason. I'm sure. Jonathan and the team have a very good reason. But um, <laughs> if they take a little tiny hit at first base with a huge upgrade at second base, which is what they're getting here, that's a big win. So it's a, it's a great signing. He adds on base percentage as an offensive. Well, that's what he brings to the table there. Something that if you're sick of seeing Brewers strike out all the time um, and never get on base and just hit solo home runs, Colton Wong helps fix that a little bit. And as all Stern signings do, his bat plays pretty well in Miller Park. He's he's a left-handed hitter. He doesn't have great power, but he has a little bit of pop, and the short porch in right field is going to help him. So it's it's a really he fits really well on the team. It's a really nice signing. I know he's not like a jump off the stat sheets guy for a lot of people, but there's potential here for like a five-win upgrade. Uh, no kidding about that. Like two years ago, he was a five-win player. They're going from a replacement level second base to that, and that's what you get. So that's good. Yeah, even if you didn't think that Keston here was likely to maintain being a replacement level second baseman, which I don't think any of us 
thought that was likely to be the case going forward. You're still getting that upgrade from what you had last year, which is a big deal. More on your point about uh, Miller Park. He actually does have an extensive track record, obviously, of hitting at Miller Park because he has been with the Cardinals for so long and they play a lot of games against each other. Uh, 212 plate appearances in his career, 308, 373, 482, which makes you wonder if he is perhaps one of those guys who really likes the hitting background at Miller Park. There are certain guys that say that it's a big deal to them and that they really, really like it and hit well in the park for that reason. So you can kind of hope and dream on that a little bit. Uh, beyond just the the short porch thing, he does have the extensive history of actually doing it. So that is that is a big positive. This is really an interesting Stern signing from a lot of perspectives. <laughs> One because you know in the past it's always been like second base defense doesn't matter. Think of the the randos we've had at second base over the years and the the upgrades they've they've put there between Mike yeah. Mustakas being brought in to play second base, Travis Shaw moving over to second base. Uh, and then Keston Hira with the defensive struggles there, they had generally shown that they didn't super value second base defense because they could find ways to mitigate it with good positioning and and all of that. And now all of a sudden, apparently it's a big deal, which <laughs> I mean, it's definitely a shift in the thinking, right? Well, or it's just it's taking advantage of an opportunity. It's just saying, sure. OK, this is what was there. And Wong fits for several reasons. One. Uh, defensively up the middle. This is a thing that when they have signed free agents, they've tended to go after guys who have good defense and up the middle ability. Obviously with Kane, you have that. And with uh, Grandall, you had that. So when they've, when they've spent on free agents, they've tended to do this. And they've also tended to try to stay to guys who are on the younger side. And Wong definitely fits with that as well. He is... Uh, he's, he's 30. 30, right? Yeah. 30. Yeah. So you're still talking about you're not you're not making commitments deep into the guy's 30s. So all of these things just sort of track and fit. And you wonder, like, are the Cardinals do the Cardinals regret having made this move now that they were able to get Nolan Arenado? Turns out for nothing for this year. They're not paying him mm-hmm. a dime. The Rockies are paying his right. entire salary, which is outrageous. But yeah, it is. Uh, so you wonder if they sort of regret having done this and cause they would have, they would have a remarkable defensive infield. Oh yeah. With the weak point being yeah, shortstop where De Jong is just sort of average is my understanding, but everywhere else would be plus two plus plus between Wong right. and Arenado and, and Goldschmidt all being really good defenders, but <laughs> no, he's ours and you can't have him back Cardinals. So <laughs> suck it. Yeah. yeah. It, it's really it's fascinating to try to figure out exactly what their their thought process is going forward with Hira. There's so many options, I think, and so many things in play. I don't know. Is that is that something you wanted to get to, James? I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll, we've got a couple of questions about that. But I just sticking on for me, the defense is just mind blowing how much of an improvement that is, is like quite literally, like if you look at defensive runs saved, uh, Colton Wong was at plus six last year for, in just under 400 innings. The year before that, obviously more bigger sample size. He was at 19 plus 19 defensive runs saved, which might be like one of the biggest numbers I've ever seen. Non Lorenzo Cain edition and a two win uh, over replacement just on yeah, defense. Yeah. And in the same year, you know, Keston here, and roughly the same sample. Keston Hero was at negative eight last year uh, in 406 innings, which is just remarkably bad. Uh, 
Yeah, it, it just it hurts his overall value so much. It's actually it, it's not quite Ricky Weeks level bad because I, I was curious and I looked up the Ricky Weeks defensive run saved this morning and holy crap, I love Ricky, but man, that was not tough his to forte. See. Yeah, yeah, not not his forte at all. It, it's just really hard, and it, defense is always one of those things in baseball where it's always been hard to quantify. But Long's really one of those guys where the numbers say he's elite. The eye test shows he's elite. Like, how many base hits up the middle did he steal against the Brewers alone? Like, mm-hmm. If you do want to make kind of a counter against that amount of value being added, it is that I, I think the Brewers are excellent at positioning their second baseman right. to not have to actually move that much. That's why they've been able to do the Mustakas stuff. And uh, on the one hand, you wonder if you lose a little bit of Wong's value by all of their extreme shifting. On the other hand, I do wonder if it allows you a little more flexibility with what you do with the other side of the infield and allowing him a little more leeway to cover more area, relying on him to make better throws on double play turns, things like that, and maybe let whoever the shortstop happens to be roam a little bit more, cover a little less territory. I don't, I don't know how they're going to work this. I don't know what the math says on it, but they're good at that. It's a, I wonder if they can accentuate it or if they actually do lose a little bit of value because they are so good at that. Yeah, maybe. It, it'll be interesting to see. I just know personally, one of my big frustrations with uh, Keston was always that, you know, turning the double play and his yeah. throws to the first base throwing were always really bad. It, yeah, it was less the positioning and more the throwing. And Wong's really accurate with his arm, too. So I think that's a definite upgrade. And when you have the pitching staff the Brewers do, it, it really kind of feels that they're shifting towards like a run prevention model as opposed to out slug everybody, which is kind of weird for us after like the last, what, 20 years of Brewers baseball <laughs> to think about. But I mean, they're obviously putting an emphasis on that and love the signing. I think it, it'll do a lot of good. And I don't think it hurts Keston here's value that much. So I guess that's my two cents on that. But we did have a, our first Patreon question is kind of touching on that subject. It comes from Adam Post. He's asking us how much, if at all, will moving here to first base hurt his value, whether it's in war and trades or what have you. I guess, Ryan, you want to take this one first? Well, the longer he goes without having played second base and without showing that he's maybe made some improvement there, the more that does, the more he gets solidified in as a second or as a first baseman, the more that hurts you. I don't think it's an immediate problem right now because obviously he hasn't done it yet. So if you're looking to trade him now, which we have no indication that the Brewers have been shopping him around. But there is a certain amount of sense, and a lot of people have brought up how much building a deal for Jose Ramirez around Hira, and obviously you'd have to give up more than that to get three years of MVP Jose Ramirez on a very, very reasonable contract. You'd have to give up considerably more than Hira for that. But it does make a certain amount of sense we just don't have any indication that it's actually happening yet. So I think that he definitely is not as valuable at first base as he is at second base. But a, a, a part of that, it gets mitigated back by the fact that he was so bad at defense at second base. He was giving up right. value there anyway. So it's yes, he, he does lose some some appeal and some shine there because you're not getting that positional value of the bat that we think we have with him. Uh, at second base, but he was giving away some of that anyway. So it's it's more of a problem for the future, I think, than an immediate issue. And I think that there's a good chance that the NL does end up with the DH this year anyway. And right. if Keston here is on this team, he ends up seeing a lot of time at DH, which is not ideal for a guy as young as him. But 
it would give them another way to get him on the field. Yeah, I think it's really a, a go-forward problem, I agree with Ryan on that. And he's young, but he's, he's 25. Um, he's, he's not like a, you know, a freshly minted high school um, prospect either. He's, he's in a slightly older one at this point. And, I mean, it's second base. We're not talking about shortstop here. Are you, at this point, projecting that he can get that much better at playing second base? Uh, right. I'd say probably not. I think this is probably what you got with Keston Hira. Um, you know, a guy who can stand out there and often not embarrass himself, but sometimes embarrass himself. But going forward, you're probably looking at him as a first baseman DH type, and that's kind of just how it is. So I would say it's it's not really... A, it's more a reflection of his true talent, this move, than anything else. And them doing this is a recognition of that fact. Now, on the positive side, you'll often see guys take a step forward with the bat when they stop struggling at a defensive position. You have a limited amount of time to work on things as a baseball player, and struggling at something gets in your head. So if you take this away from him and you know, don't send him out there to make bad throws and embarrass himself, there's at least a chance you might see that bat tick up a little bit. So something to keep an eye on as well. And it's, you know, that's as good of a chance of improvement as probably getting better at second base. So keep an eye out for that, too. And we did see that actually with Ricky Weeks when he made because he did have a few years there where he became a pretty adequate defender It like 2009 to 2011 before the the injury hit. And then it was pretty much kind of over everywhere for him. But once he improved defensively with working with uh, Willie Randolph, there was seemingly sort of a, a boost in his offense that went along with it at the same time where he went on that three-year run where he had most of his career value from nine to 11. Yeah. I, I think I'm kind of with Paul on this is kind of what Keston Hira is. And it, this signing kind of feels like an acknowledgement from the Brewers front office that they're not totally optimistic. He's getting much better if at all. Part of the reason the Brewers got Keston here in the draft was because everybody was worried about his defense, right? Mm-hmm. And, he, and he had injury issues with the elbow concern, that kind of thing, too. But even before that, there was a lot of question on whether or not he'd be able to stick at second base. Brewers, at least outwardly, spun it as, we'll see what happens when his elbow is better, that kind of thing. At this point, they've had him a couple of years in the majors, and, and they're not really seeing that improvement. So it, it does kind of feel like, okay, at least in the interim, let's get him off second base. You know, like Ryan said, DH is probably coming to the National League at some point. Maybe this just ends up being a one-year stick him at first base situation, and then everything's fine after that. I think that's why I'm not terribly worried about everybody concerned after the signing saying, well, where's Keston here going to get his at-bats? Where's Dan Vogelbach going to get his at-bats? I I think, you know, like both of you guys said, they'll figure it out in a year. They And they always seem to figure this stuff out, right? So I, I'm not terribly concerned about it. But it, it does kind of feel like we might have seen the last of Keston Hira as a regular second baseman. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not to say he won't play some second base this year because Colton Wong also really struggles against left-handed pitching. So I'm, I'm sure you could see some days where here is at second base. I'm sure that's what they'll do too. Is they have yeah. a platoon bat. They can move him. They can have him have a cup of coffee at second base to keep his value to, you know, AL teams or whatnot up by doing so. Put him at first base, the spell Vogelbach against same side pitching and go from there. That's what he'll be this year. Yeah, yeah, and you also wonder long-term if he could potentially move to left field. Right field seems 
out because he doesn't have the arm strength for it. And you really do no. want a guy who has an arm in right and center field. Probably they value defense more in center field. Obviously they value it very highly. So probably not a thing that they would want to do there, but left field seems to make a lot of sense. Doesn't it? It does. There's no question he could run. Our good friend Chris Davis just traded this week. Um, plays, <laughs> plays left field, and it has the has the only twenty arm in baseball, so we know it can be done. <laughs> did Did you guys see the Rangers are toying with the idea of putting Chris Davis at first base? No, I did see that. They can toy with it all they want, but um, <laughs> I, I yeah, I have a feeling that'll last about the first day he shows up at spring training, <laughs> and sort of like the Brewers, they're like, okay, we can focus on something else now. I would watch a mini uh, series about teams speculating on turning Chris Davis into a first baseman. Just team <laughs> by team. Just, just a just, six-part Netflix series. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. In episode, in episode one, Chris Davis is like, all right, I'll give this a shot. And then by the last one, he's like, guys, we've done this. I, I'm not doing it. I, I'll go stand over there. People can throw it at me. I'm not catching it. Just put me back in the outfield, please, or designated hitter or whatever, but I'm not doing that. I'll hit I mean, you 47 yeah. and that's it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, part of the problem is he's like 5'9, right? Like he's mm-hmm. he's not he a is, big dude he's either. He's not a big man. <laughs> well, and that is the big issue with Hira, too, is he is not particularly tall, and you generally like to have some size in your first right. baseman. Yep. Granted, the athleticism is definitely there, so that's not a problem, but you like to have the ability to stretch and reach and be able to to get to baseballs that are thrown not exactly on target. Which, granted, should be less of a problem the way they're currently set to line up. Yeah, without Keston here at second base, he should be all right there. Yes. Yeah, I was going to say, I think Paul made that joke earlier this week. Yeah. It's not like he has to catch his own throws, so he should be fine, right? Yeah. Yeah, it should be interesting to see how he handles that. And obviously, there's there's footwork issues and all that. But, hey, they'll have a full spring training because the players are refusing to push back the day. So, they'll have plenty of time to work on that. I guess in the meantime... Maybe the Brewers aren't done. Maybe there's one more piece out there that they could still add. And it's kind of related to another big signing that happened this last week. Trevor Bauer finally put an end to his uh, little free agency escapades. Decided to sign a contract. The groundhog saw his shadow. (laughs) (laughs) Signed with the Dodgers. Really unique contract. It's technically a three-year deal, but it's got opt-outs after every year. So maybe he never went back on his promise of one-year contracts, if you want to look at that. Getting an obscene amount of money. (laughs) I'm not convinced he's totally worth it, but then I got yelled at on Twitter by everybody. So whatever, We, we, we can debate that later. But basically the problem is that signing Trevor Bauer puts the Dodgers way past the luxury tax. They're basically saying, screw it. They'll take the hit for a couple of years here to to add Trevor Bauer, which I'm not even convinced they needed him to win the World Series again. But hey, at least the team is spending money. Leaving, where, where, leaving Trevor Bauer aside for a second. And, and yeah. That's barely an upgrade for them. in the rot- Their rotation is already right. really, really good. That's the weirdest part of it. Like if you were going from some trash fifth starter to Trevor Bauer, yeah, that's gaining a bunch of war. I kind of get that. For the Dodgers, it's just weird. Yeah, you're bumping like Tony Gonsolin out of the rotation, yeah. who was Which, excellent you know, last year. Pretty good. Right. <laughs> they'll they'll end up trading Gonsolin for another MVP. In any whatever, given year, right. there's there's a good chance that Tony Gonsolin is better than Trevor Bauer. For, more power to Trevor Bauer for getting his money and doing his thing. And I like to see people players get paid in free agency. That's good. It's just a weird mix of players getting paid in, in this scenario. It's very strange. Right. And I guess we're 
the Brewers come into this is with the Dodgers so far past the luxury tax. They still haven't re-signed Justin Turner. He's still out there. He's still being rumored as possible future Brewer. Although, as we talked about the last couple of weeks, there's a good chance that he was just using the, the Brewers for leverage. But now he might be just kind of sitting out in the cold, so to speak, with nowhere to go. Possibly could land at the Brewers. I guess that leads us to our next Patreon question comes from Darren Jones. Does Trevor Bauer have an impact on the Dodgers' likelihood of resetting Justin Turner? Uh, Ryan, you want to get into why this might make it less likely he returns to the Dodgers? It could make it less likely, though I think it actually probably doesn't matter all that much. The Dodgers are already well over the luxury tax threshold, and I can't right. see... The, the whole thing with the luxury tax threshold is it's once you get the first year you're over, it's not such a big deal. Penalties are are not huge. It's once you start getting to the third and fourth year over and the way they structured this with Trevor Bauer was that this money is mostly due to him up front. And so it'll mm -hmm. drop off. Well, I can't see Justin Turner is what, 36 years old, 35 years old. He is. Yeah. This is his age 36 season he's going into here. Yeah. yeah. I can't see them giving him more than a year or two deal anyway. So I think yep. they basically don't care as long as they're not locking themselves in long term because they probably want to get under the luxury tax in 2024 to keep the penalties from like super escalating and becoming a huge problem. 2023 or 2024, somewhere in there. Justin Turner wouldn't stop them from being able to do that. So I don't think that it's necessarily that big a deal, except for just the idea that maybe they don't want to spend that much money this year. Maybe they're just looking to, to move past it. I don't know what their internal options are because they did lose some defensive flexibility with Kike Hernandez going to Boston too. Yeah. Right. So it's not like they have the the depth, though the Dodgers always have depth. They can they can figure stuff out. I know that. Oh, the other guy with the beard, um, Muncie. Yeah. <laughs> the other guy with the beard, yeah. Too many uh, bearded people on the Dodgers. Yeah, Muncie could yeah. play third base as well. So they could they could yeah. just... Yeah, I mean, they could move Seager there and play Lux at short. I mean, they've got options. And, and that's yes. probably the biggest reason that they might not bring him back. Nothing to do with money. It's they have options and he's 36. And that's why he might not come back to the Dodgers. Yes, the Dodgers, I'm sure, have a budget, but... This is the season that they're over the tax. This is the one they're going to spend on. So if they want him back, they'll have him back. And if they don't want him back, they won't. And really, there's no cap on the Dodgers this year. Uh, in for a penny, in for a pound once you're over the tax. Three years mm -hmm. down the road, they'll probably have a big bloodletting. And that's that's how this is going to look. They have options. That's that's the, the reason the Brewers have any leverage here at all, is the Dodgers don't have to have him back. They have people who are potentially better and younger. And he doesn't have a lot of leverage against a team like that. Right. And like Ryan said, I'm sure they're looking at a one or two year deal. And I'm sure part of the reason why Justin Turner is still a free agent is he's probably insisting on a three year deal. Right. So yeah, <laughs> it's probably why the Brewers haven't signed him yet as well. So uh, we'll see if if he would come off that demand and if it is a decision on a one year deal, who he chooses. But um, I agree. Like if it's a one year deal, he goes back to the Dodgers. They win another World Series. Everybody's happy except the people enforcing COVID protocols. But <laughs> it's also possible the CBA changes after this year, too, and there's a change in the luxury tax rules or something like that, right? So, I mean, <laughs> maybe the Dodgers are just saying, screw it, we'll just sign everybody and hope something's different. It's hard to predict what's going to happen three years down the road when you don't know what's going to happen beyond this year. So, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what, that, what happens with that. But 
I guess on the topic of the CBA, welcome to everybody's favorite segment on the program. It's Labor <laughs> Talk. Uh, Ryan even put an exclamation point on the rundown here. Just so, for you, James. Just for you. Just, just for me, knowing how much I like to talk about this stuff. In the last week, the news was the players, quote unquote, refusing to get, negotiate the start of the season. The owners had that proposal of, what, 150-some games and... 154, and then they were going to yeah. push back the start of the season a month and push the end of the season back a week. week. So yeah. then they would have had to have played a bunch of doubleheaders to make that work. Yeah. Right, right. Basically, I, I saw it. I think it was Eugene Freeman made the tweet where the Players Union basically just tapped the sign that said CBA and said, nope, and <laughs> we're still going to show up. Because the problem is a lot of players are already in Florida or Arizona. You know, either they live there or whatever, and they've already started their spring training work. So it, it's really hard to put a pause on that for another month. Especially for the pitchers. Like, that's yeah, a exactly. really big deal with the pitchers. If they it have is. already started their ramp-up process to get ready, mm-hmm. there's feeling that because of last year's weirdness with the start, the stop, and all that, that that caused some problems for pitchers. And we saw an above-average uh, pitcher injury year even though it was such a shortened year so you weren't getting the overwork at the you know by the bulk of it you were just getting a lot of people breaking down and so the concern there is that if guys have already started their process to ramp up and be ready for the season just putting a, a month pause on that would potentially cause another spate of injuries that are totally unnecessary so I get why the players are very hesitant about that yeah, and the way that labor negotiations are covered are, are always annoying. So wh- whether you're <laughs> pro-management or pro-player here, just note last year there were a lot of unknowns about the disease. And the players had every incentive to open things up and work with the owners to get a season in and figure out how to do things safely because it was dangerous and we were in the middle of it and nobody knew exactly how this was going to work. Now it's been a year. The vaccines are on the horizon a bunch of other leagues have had seasons involving contract tracing and mask and things like that that have gone varying degrees of reasonably well. The NFL actually like published a bunch of findings they made on COVID over the course of the season, which was huh. fascinating. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. Well, like one of the findings was that the six feet rule is much less important than mask wearing is. And if you're right. inside with somebody, that distance rule doesn't really apply. So everything is known here. And when the owners open up things like this, it's purely based on money it's purely it's hard to have fans in the stands and we know that we'll be able to a month from now which okay we understand you'd make more money if we could wait a month but that's not a reason to hold up the season because you know how to play baseball safely so there's an agreement on this and the players have no incentive to reopen negotiations if the cba negotiations were going to start five years from now instead of immediately following the season that might be a different story They may have some incentive. There may be more back and forth they could do in terms of money split. But this anything the players open up now is very likely to be held against them as leverage. They're giving up in the bigger negotiations coming up shortly. So there's just no incentive there. I've phrased this as the owners being greedy. I understand why they're doing it. They just have they have the players on the other side with no leverage at all. The players should not open negotiations because there'll be negotiations very soon. And other than just tricking them or get caught catching them being stupid, that's the owners are counting on. Not going to happen. It's <laughs> they're going to take a little bit of a bath on spring training, and that's just the situation that they happen to find themselves in. 
Well, really, it's a PR gambit, right? This is a PR play by MLB to try to appear like, oh, we're on the side of safety. We're on the side of caution when Mm -hmm. the reality is that's that's not what's going on here. That's not what they really care about. What they care about is if they can push things back by a month, that gives them more people in the stands for spring training. That gives them more people in the stands once the regular season starts. It gives them the ability to because right now, last I saw, we were just uh, on Saturday, over 2 million vaccinations distributed for the first time in a day in the country. Every day that you push it back, it is adding to the number of people that are getting vaccinated and who will presumably be more willing to go out and see a baseball game, even if it's in somewhat of a socially distanced way, even if there's, you know, protocols and things in place, you're pushing all of that back. And MLB understands that perfectly. They understand that the timing on this is the more they can delay, the better. And the other factor that we haven't really talked about here is the real thing with that deal that they were they were pushing, the 154-game season where they would pay for 162. You'd get paid for 162, but only play 154. The real thing that they were they were putting in the, this that was basically the poison pill that was going to make the, it a, a, a non-starter for the players to even consider was it included an expanded postseason. Yep. That expanded postseason, MLB has already negotiated for what that's going to get them in TV revenue. They already have an agreement in place for a round of the playoffs that doesn't exist. And they know it's super lucrative to them. Hundreds of millions of dollars. And they would very much like to get that. And they do not plan on sharing much of that with the players. They they don't care to nope. do that. So By the way... If you're wondering why the owners want to compress that and not push back the playoffs a month or two and maybe be creative and go to warm weather stadiums or things like that to avoid, you know, cold Wrigley, you know, in the middle of November, they have huge pressure to not run up against Fox's fall schedule. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that is the natural cap on that. So if you're wondering why this compression even exists and they don't just push the season out a month and keep all the pitchers healthy and with space to you know recover that's the reason why it's because if they don't have the playoffs happen in this specific window they lose out on a bunch of that money and mm-hmm. they don't have any interest in missing out on a bunch of money so not to make it sound nefarious it's just a fact of life for them that they have to do the playoffs in this specific window and if they don't they're much less lucrative mm-hmm. and th- so that is driving a big part of this and basically they want the players to agree to take little scraps that they're throwing at them, like the the DH, which they want anyway. We've talked about that <laughs> ad nauseum. Like, yeah. They, they want to throw little scraps at the players. The the idea of a 154-game season, well, we'll play fewer games, all of that, and they want to throw those scraps and get the players to, to jump at it. The players have rightly seen through it and have said, no, we're, we're not going to do that. The, the noise that has started to be made, and there was – reports from the New York tabloids last week about MLB being asked by the Biden administration to delay a month, presumably so the players could get vaccinated, which is a little bit weird considering like the players getting vaccinated isn't really anybody's concern. That's not the the major issue here. It's right. right. Not that we, we, we want the players to not get COVID, but right. we know how to avoid it at this point. That's the thing. Right. They've gone through the protocols. They know how to do this. They, that's not that's not the question. The question is, 
the fans in the stands. And you can't really do that until a good portion of the population has been vaccinated. Yep. And that's clearly what the, the priority is here. It like the way that this apparently got leaked. So the post reported that. And then the, the daily news came out and said that it was uh, the owners had leaked that information. And the players last I heard were, and I don't know if this happened this weekend because it was supposed to happen this weekend. The players wanted to speak with people at the Biden administration on a conference call and discuss what was going on here. Like they want, they want to like understand what the, the motivation and, and things are here for why they're pushing for this. So it's, it's interesting in the way yep. that all this stuff is kind of depressing, but also kind of fascinating. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just, we did this last year. Here we are again. Yep. Mm -hmm. And and we're I doing guess. it again next year, too, by the way. So, uh. yes, we probably are. I was just seeing a lot of things, and, and this is the ongoing PR war, right? But you saw people like John Heyman and stuff saying, Well, I just don't understand why the players just refuse to negotiate this. I oh, guess man, Paul, you, you should, you should research Paul, that. In, in, in your best uh, two minute synopsis, without much lawyer speak, can you explain why the players don't even want to start negotiating yeah. this? Yeah. Sure. There's laws about this. And once they open negotiation on certain key points, on finances, on schedule, on anything like that, once they reopen that, they're obligated to discuss certain things. And they don't want to do that right now because they're going to do it again after the season ends. And it puts them in a vulnerable position to negotiate it twice in a row. And it's not even the players necessarily being intransigent. If these laws didn't exist, Maybe it would be worth it, but they do. There's very strict rules around how collective bargaining operates. And if you open up, uh, literally, like if you, not literally, figuratively, you open up a can of worms, you're obligated to talk about the worms. So they have to be very careful about what they do and do not negotiate on. They control certain aspects of negotiation. The commissioner's office does certain aspects of negotiation, on scheduling mostly, and the owners have certain things they're interested in. But they, they can't just uh, you know, spontaneously agree to do this. It, it, it exposes them to a huge amount of risk. So um, when when Heyman says things like, I don't understand why the players don't agree to this, well, there's a good legal reason for it. It's a, If they agree to negotiate this one little tiny point on finances, they actually have to negotiate a whole bunch of other stuff on finances before they close it out. And you, you could say things like, well, you can just agree with the owners in advance. You're not going to talk about um, all the stuff that's still, in, well, no, you can't do that. That's not how this works. And the owners would be well within their rights to spontaneously go back on that in the middle of negotiations because that's what negotiations are. So uh, it's it's a tricky situation and they can't, they, they just cannot do it. The law does not permit them to do it. If one thing is on the table, everything is on the table. So John Heyman is being, first of all, he does know this, just so you guys know. He's not. He, he yes, he he is bad at his job and and jumps the gun a bunch and is bad at conveying rumors. But he's been around the game long enough to understand what how negotiating works. So um, it, it's a uh, that's the reason why they cannot just willy nilly jump into negotiations with the owners on this stuff. Deep sigh. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we're gonna talk about this. I'm sure later, but we'll just keep reminding people that that's the case. Yes. Okay, uh, we have other Patreon questions to get to today as well that don't deal with labor contracts and Thank all goodness. the fun lawyery stuff. Actually talking about baseball. Uh, reminder, you can help support our podcast network at patreon.com slash tailgate for just five bucks a month. Our ball and glove and above patrons get the Minor League Extra podcast with Ryan and James Anderson. And you guys just recorded one, right? 
we did. By the time people are listening to this, that one will also be up. It's not quite ready yet, but it's getting there. <laughs> good tease. Good tease. <laughs> we, well, yeah, we talked about his top 10 list, what right. the Brewer's state of the system is overall. And then we actually did a deep dive into some of the players that the Brewers invited to camp that are not big names. So we had some discussions about that. Nice. There you go. So that's what you get with uh, this week's Minor League Extra podcast. If you sign up for that $5 level, you also get Paul's reporting as eligible mini pods. Sadly, no more Packers games this year. Uh, but <laughs> Paul does have more free stuff to give away. So there's that. that. Also, we will still have mini pods on things like the draft. Um, I have to actually look into the defensive coordinator they just hired because um, everyone had led me to believe that they would not hire Joe Barry for a variety of reasons. And then they went and did so. Um, now I have, yes. to, I have to go learn, um, but that's fine. But yeah, we have free stuff to give away. Uh, we have t-shirts and hoodies now, and I have a hoodie and two t-shirts. So um, uh, it's what's February 7th. That's not so on March 1st, let's say we'll, we'll, we'll do a little giveaway for the patrons and give away some reporting as eligible merch to, to three random people. So Nice. Is that the stuff that's like in the uh, Acme Packers blue and yellow colors? I, sh- I shouldn't say what colors they are. I'm not sure okay. what I got because I haven't got them yet. I got shipping okay. notifications that I got them. But I, they come in a variety of colors. If you want to buy one, you can get them in the old navy and yellow. You can get them in also Packers colors. Uh, they have green and yellow, green and gold as well. So. Nice. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. In the meantime, our patron questions. Jay Google, of course. Suck it, Steve. Yes. <laughs> Do the Brewers have to address the lack of lefties in the lineup and on the bench? So Colton Wong kind of does help with this in that regard. But Ryan, uh, do they need to do more to kind of balance that lineup? I don't think so. Actually, I was thinking about it. They they almost are a little lefty heavy on, in certain mm-hmm. ways because you have Wong at, at second base now. And obviously Christian Yelich is a lefty. And Omar Narvaez also lefty. So I, I don't think that that's a huge issue. It would be nice if they could perhaps add a switch hitter to sort of give them some flexibility there. Like, I don't know, Jose Ramirez, that would be kind of awesome. But (laughs) I think I think really the problem is more the lack of right handed power in the lineup right now. Like, where is the right handed power coming from? Because you're not looking. Kane will give you a little bit of pop, but that's not really his primary offensive virtue. That's more of, you know, the plate discipline and, and yeah. the contact ability is what King. Avisnael will hit it very hard into the ground. That's a kind of power. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really does kind of come down to Keston Hira is being relied on a lot for that right-handed power, which, you know, after what happened last year with his overall struggles offensively, yes, the power was still there. He did provide the power. Uh, I think he had, what, 13 or 14 home runs in the shortened season. So, like, he was still hitting for power. But you're probably going to want to add some right-handed power because your your other big, like, power bat off the bench at this point is Dan Vogelbach, another lefty. So mm-hmm. I think it's, it's yep. actually more of a concern the right-handed power than the left-handed power, which Justin Turner would be great for addressing that as well. So. It would. I, I don't think they really have you one way or the other because they do play platoons so much. That, it, you know, if you've got a righty starting pitcher out there, they can go with a pretty good lefty lineup. It gives you a lot of flexibility on the bench later on when they switch that up. Uh, their balance is okay. I like them to be a little lefty heavy, honestly, just because of how the park plays. And that's how they've built their teams primarily over the past several years. So really, they could just use more bats. But I think their balance is pretty good. And it's nothing that they can't work with. Uh, for sure. They've been much more like lefty heavy in the past and they've gotten around it just fine. 
and uh, I don't, this seems okay. I, I agree that they haven't had a really good righty bat since since Braun was actually good. It would, mm-hmm. it would be nice to see. <laughs> it's been a while, um, but uh, I'll I'll take what I can get in terms of additions. Uh, either side is good. Right. Uh, Jay's second question for us. He's asking, without the DH as of now, does this mean the end of Vogelbach? Do they need a decent defensive first baseman with Hira over there now? Yeah, that does create certain problems. If you're going to have a guy that you're trying to mold into a first baseman who hasn't done it before and is probably going to be at least questionable at the start, at the very least, you're not going to know what you're getting defensively there. You would like to have somebody who is a capable defensive backup to be able to mitigate those issues. And that ain't Dan Vogelbach. That's not what he's he's good at. So it was interesting that there was also, you guys saw the, the Sin Chu Chu rumor of having yeah. him come in and play first base. Yep. But again, you're, it's another yeah. guy who doesn't play first base <laughs> or trying to move to first base. Right. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're very willing to just try out a lot of things. And I do applaud their flexibility and being willing to like, go wherever the the talent and opportunity takes them right you want to go kind of wherever those those opportunities are but it would be nice to have somebody that you can look at and go yeah this guy's actually a very capable first baseman and i don't know maybe that's jed jerko because no it's not jed jerko well he did play first base (laughs) last year and was not well i thought he was wait i thought the numbers were actually okay on that uh, I just remember the, the, the times he can't scoop. So oh. maybe maybe that's it. Again, anyway, you're not at second base anymore, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> that's also true. Still have RCA at short, though. Yeah, I don't care about first base defense. We had Prince Fielder for like a decade. I, it just doesn't matter. I um, <laughs> fix everybody else and that takes care of itself. It's fine. Yeah, I, I guess to the first part of Jay's question, uh, how much does this, I guess, affect someone like Dan Vogelbach and eat into his playing time. You, you know me, I'm a big, big Dan fan. Want to see him hit that sweet Pakoda line, add, <laughs> add three war somehow, uh, you know, be that big burly masher because like those dudes just played really well with, with, with the, the fan base, but it, it's kind of hard to see him have a way forward with much playing time, right? With a DH, he does with a DH that works. So let's talk this year, assuming there's no DH. Well, I guess, do you guys is think, he just the first bat off the bench, or what? What is he doing? Hold on. Well, hold on. Do we think he that Hira is the starter at first base and Vogelbach is the backup? Because Vogelbach's the lefty here. He's the he's the long side of the platoon. If they go a strict platoon, he and is. I, I would see him more in that role. I don't see them playing that as a strict platoon, though. I no, I don't see that. I think Hira is going to be in the lineup virtually every day. He was the only Brewer last year that they had in the lineup every single day up until pretty much close to the end of the season. I think he played 59 games, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. They finally gave him a day off because he was so bad for so long that he, he needed it. <laughs> right. Yes. But yeah. Yeah. It, it wasn't until the last week of the season where he finally got a day off. So Keston here is in the lineup on a daily basis. If he's on the team, that's not my question. It's just a question of where that's going to be. And it could be a lot at second base when, like you said, with lefties, but mm-hmm. that would also be problematic because you're trying to cover for Vogelbach against lefties as well. So that right. would be that would be weird. And you, uh, so primarily he would be a first baseman then on the days when uh, a right hander starts, and that's 
I don't know, that that then kind of limits the amount of time Vogelbach can be out there, which really does mean I think they they really are planning on having a DH. I think that is coming. I think that MLB wants to wants to BS their way as far as they can with this, but ultimately they're just going to see that it's not worth it and they're going to, you know, go with a DH. Yeah, okay. Also, as I had forgotten before the podcast, Keston here has reverse platoon splits, so never mind. Oh. He is not useful in that role anyway. <laughs> yeah, it, it it's hard to see them give away too many here at bats because he's still such a big part of the future. I, I joked about this, Dan Vogelbach, third baseman, but that's just my love of Juan Francisco coming through. <laughs> it's not. Uh, there's a name. Maybe they'll stick him in left every once in a while too. I don't know, but it, it, it's just, he, he's so limited in his skill set and that we talked about it when they added him. He's, he's not like that first base outfield split typically that you nope. see Stearns have. So, so he's super limited and probably could be a, a roster crunch casualty if it gets to that point. I mean, yeah, I, I, think I think they do like him, but he's one of the first guys to get DFA'd, right? I think that's true. And so he, everybody likes him. He is, his Pakota projection is good. He provides something that they don't have. But if he's not on the team opening day, don't be that surprised about it. Yeah, it, it's hard to see him where he fits in right now. But the Brewers have surprised us there before, too. So yep. we'll see what happens. I mean, there's probably as good a chance he plays second base at this point. So <laughs> Yes, there we go. Catcher. It was Schwarber who was a catcher, right? So and maybe <laughs> yeah, yeah. back there. We, we need more catchers. Yeah. On the topic of catchers, our next Patreon question is from Brad Westness. He's asking, is Narvaez going to be the everyday catcher? Or do we have high hopes for any of the other half dozen catchers on the <laughs> roster? <laughs> Ryan. I think, um, I wouldn't say every day. I think it's largely going to be a platoon. I think that Narvaez, and with being the lefty, he's going to get the lion's share of those appearances. The question is, who is the uh, who's the backup, who's the, the weak side of the platoon between Nottingham and Pena, I think mm-hmm. is really the question. And I think it is an open question which one of those guys is going to make the roster or possibly both if they figure out a way to make that work. And maybe that is your answer to who the, uh, well, but that's also not a guy who's neither one of those guys have played first base, like with any no, sort of yeah. regularity. Nottingham <laughs> has the size. We all thought he when, had a cup of coffee over there. Hasn't he? I think. Yeah. Like, yeah, they toyed with both of them there the last yeah. couple of years. Yeah. But like Nottingham originally, everybody thought, Oh yeah, he'll go to first base. Cause he's like six foot four. He's a huge catcher, right. yeah. and then he actually turned into a pretty decent defender at catcher while losing his offensive ability, so that doesn't make <laughs> as much sense then. So it's <laughs> just the way things work in the Brewers world. Yeah, I guess, Paul, how do you see the catcher situation shaking out right now? I still kind of think they'll, they'll lean Pena on that front, though, just because he is such a good defensive catcher and not a total loss as a right-handed bat. It, I do think a lot of it depends on what you get out of Nottingham in spring training. I actually think this is one of those cases where spring training will actually be important because if he starts to show the offensive profile coming back a little bit, it, it doesn't take much to out hit Pena. He's, a, he's an average hitter, but he's not a good hitter. And given Nottingham's improvements on defense, if he starts to, sh- like the power is clearly there with him, the raw power, if he starts to turn that into something real, they'll go with him pretty quickly. So I, I do lean Pena. They're comfortable with him that he's back. Um, <laughs> and uh, that's a good sign. All the other catchers are bad, so I know we have 8 million of them, but they're all bad, so nobody has to care about them. But it'll be Pena or Nottingham, and I lean Pena just because he's a good known quantity with a a good floor in terms of actually catching. 
Right. And yeah. Luke Malley is a guy who's going to go to AAA and will be forgot about him. Well, he'll be the third catcher. Like because my guess is whoever they decide not to start, they're going to look to trade because both Nottingham and Pena have to be on the major league roster. Yep. They can't send them down. So I think that one of those guys is going to get traded in camp, not for anything remarkably significant, but no. for something. Lottery ticket arm or something like that, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Some some 17-year-old Dominican kid who throws like 98 with absolutely no clue where it's going. Yeah. That, right. That seems Next Freddie Peralta. Yeah, exactly. Because sure. they all turn into Freddie Peralta. That is how that works. That is the math on that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It... Man, Narvaez was so bad last year. It's it's hard to imagine him going anywhere but up. But I also just I just get the feeling personally that they really like Jake Nottingham and they really want him to be the guy going forward. Yeah. So if I had to pick a guy that was going to get traded, I would say it'd probably be Pena. But then, I mean, you're talking about a catcher in his early to mid thirties. You're you're not going to get a whole lot for him either. But no. Yeah. Uh, I, I do think that Narvaez gets the, the lion's share of the starts at least early. And, you know, you hope he starts to hit. But, you know, as we've talked about before, his his batted ball profiles, not exactly encouraging. You're kind of fingers crossed that he puts a few into the picnic area to kind of boost that value. But mm-hmm. we'll see how that goes. And if yeah. nothing else, if he maintains the defense that he showed last year, who's literally one of the best defensive catchers in baseball out of nowhere. So After yeah, being one of the worst. Yeah, this is like Charlie Green we'll magic time. That is. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, one last Patreon question this week. It comes from Anthony Martin talking about the outfield. He's asking, will Tyrone Taylor be the primary fourth outfielder or will it be a super utility type like Mark Mathias to win that spot? Uh, it's so weird to not have Ryan Braun. Um, yeah, it, I guess I, I lean Taylor on this with incumbent guys. But I also think there's some opportunity here for somebody out of the blue a little bit because Tyrone Taylor, like he's he's not young at this point. He's pretty old. He's a known quantity. Uh, he's this is what he is, and you can do better than him pretty easily. And Matthias, I think, is kind of he he was good in short spurts last year, but he's kind of a never will be. So if they can, there's opportunity here for somebody else to grab the fourth outfielder spot. Eileen Taylor, just because they are comfortable with him, he can play center field competently in a pinch, which is a big thing for them. That's, mm-hmm. It's huge, but he's not great. So there's room for the next Ben Gamble out there if somebody else surprises in camp, but I'll lean Taylor uh, out of the gate. Yeah, I think that there's a good chance that who the, the person who gets the most at-bats who isn't currently in our outfield is not on this roster right now. Agreed. That they're going to mm-hmm. bring somebody in potentially late in camp or – very early in the season, one of those type of deals where you're you're filling a, a hole because there are names out there. There are people out there that they can potentially bring in. And so we will we'll see. But I, I think that you're right about the center field aspect being very important. And for that reason, Taylor is definitely the fourth outfielder on the roster at this moment. I yeah. just don't know that it's going to stay that way. Right. That's an important thing to remember. And we even had David Stearns in the last week or so kind of issue that reminder that, you know, start of spring training is not his deadline. It's opening day to really add people. So, well, and that's not even a That's not a deadline. Right, exactly. either. The deadline is exactly. literally the deadline. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, we, we've, we've seen that the past couple of years, too, where he'll literally add somebody 
like the day before opening day or the day after opening day, you know, he'll play those end of camp waiver wires. And I think you guys are right that that's how Jesus Aguilar ended up on the team. Indeed. Right. So maybe that fourth outfielder, you know, that's the kind of spot you would add that 26th guy, so to speak. So mm-hmm. the at least back end of the roster is, is far from settled right now, whether that's a fourth outfielder or another starting pitcher or what have you. So we'll, keep seeing <laughs> i guess who they'll add but you know you kind of wonder how much money they have to work with now after after kind of spending that entire i guess presupposed budget on colton long but yeah well presupposed based on right. you know speculation that wasn't really anything more than speculation so i think right. we need to this is a good reminder that again we need to like be very patient with david stearns in the off season because this is now the third time in the last four off seasons where major moves were made significantly late in the process. You had Kane and Yelich late in January in 2018. You had uh, Moustakas and Grandal in like February in 2019. Mm-hmm. And then last year, nothing much really happened. It was a weird situation. And uh, then, but this year we've seen Wong and they're still obviously in the market for guys. They're still looking to add. So I think we need to remember with Stearns that he is going to make moves late more often than not. And that we just have to be patient and let the process play out before we go and make assumptions about, well, the payroll is going to be this and that's unacceptable and blah, blah, blah. Well, <laughs> we, we don't know what the payroll is going to be because we're not anywhere near the finish line yet as to what that number is actually going to look like. So I think it, it is a good reminder to just be patient. Right. Very few are better at waiting out the market than David Stearns and Matt Arnold, right? Even last week when we were talking about the splurge of of free agent signing and everybody waiting out the market, we, you know, I think it was Paul who said, obviously the Brewers are still waiting and think that they can. And lo and behold, a week after that flurry, they get their guy in Keston, or not Keston Hira, in Colton Wong. I'm going to make that mistake 12 times this year. I swear to God, I'm going to make up their names. (laughs) I've already done it in my head multiple times. Yeah. I mean, it took me a year and a half to stop calling Ben Gamble, Matt Gamble. So it <laughs> it's going to be a long year, uh, long two years, maybe. Reminder that you can get question priority by signing up to become a patron. All those people did. And we do have a new patron to shout out this week. And we actually got a question from him. Yeah, Brad week, Westmas, so. yep. longtime follower yeah. on Twitter. I think he, you've probably both interacted with him at various points in the past as well. So welcome, Brad. Thank you for uh, for joining up. Yep. Thanks, Brad. Yeah. Thanks, Brad. Reminder, five bucks a month for all the podcast stuff. But you can even just be a two dollar patron and get the question priority. There's that level there, too. Uh, in the meantime, if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Cast, anywhere else that you listen to your podcasts please do subscribe to us so you get notified every time we drop a new episode every week. And while you're there, please do leave us a review to help other people find the podcast as well. A lot of fun to actually talk about actual baseball stuff and brewers doing things instead of just speculation and lawyer talk. So this is good. Thank you. Super, super excited week. You know, what's funny though, is it happened in the week that Pakoda came out. Ah, yeah. Normally we'd be doing a deep dive in that. Yeah. yeah. So, but totally now we've got that, that for next week. Yeah. We, well, I, I remembered it, but then was like, well, we have plenty to talk about this week. Let's, we do. let's save also, something, keep our powder dry. It's not like those projections are going anywhere. They're, they'll be there to talk about next week, too. 
They will. And also, I will say, um, standings are not updated yet, so they still have to put up a code of standings. I've I've had some some talk with uh, Jonathan about that. So, um, and also, the Brewers' projection has to be fixed because they had a couple of guys ranked too high on accident. So, um, <laughs> that would that being um, Luis Castro, I believe, was one of them, and. Cooper Hummel, I believe, was insanely high. <laughs> yeah. You're saying Cooper Hummel's not a, a two-war player? Not a two-war player. Um, so, yeah, yes. Uh, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to kind of see uh, how those standings shake out, especially, you know, given the, the moves of the last couple of weeks. Indeed. And all of Brewers Twitter was hand-wringing when the uh, Cardinals added Nolan Arenado. And a week later, the Brewers get Colton Wong, and suddenly things look a little bit more closer in the division. I guess it'll teach us to, uh, you know, coronate a division champion in the middle of January. We'll see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, we'll, we'll have the Pocota stuff to look forward to next week. Hopefully, maybe a, a Brewer signing Justin Turner. We'll see. In the meantime, thanks for listening along this week. Stay well, and we will see you next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate. start i'll uh mark it we will go in three two one hey everyone and welcome to one episode shit restart (laughs) (laughs) this is totally going at the end we got we got we had uh, five words in five words in and we're screwed Uh, i blame hippie church all right uh three two one